how can I be saved? That's the question we're looking at this morning. We're going to see it a couple of times um, in our passage this morning as we're going through it in Mark um, chapter 10. And before any of you like think I can just tune out because I'm already a Christian, um, this passage was actually, I think, written mostly for people who thought they were Christians, who maybe might be missing it by just a little bit. So this is not just for people who are not believers, but also for us to challenge us, to help us um, try to seek and understand who we are really or what we are really trusting in. And before we get too far, this is going to be the story of um, what you probably know if you've been in church for a while as the rich young ruler. Um, Mark actually leaves out rich and young, so he just calls him a man. We only know he's rich because of what happens later and from other passages in the Gospels. But before anybody also tunes out on this one and says, well, I'm not rich, so this doesn't apply to me either, um, just know that if you're in this room today, compared to the world around us, you are considered rich. Um, so everybody's included. Um, some examples, if you can afford not to work um, and just be retired, um, you are rich. That is not something that poor people get to do. They have to continue working to pay their bills. So if you're retired, consider yourself rich. If you own a home, or you can, this day in Austin, if you can afford to rent a home, um, you're probably at some level rich. If you drove here in a car, um, you're probably rich. If you can afford to watch this online. And then the last one, if you have a cell phone, right? Most of us have cell phones. I know some of you have flip phones. It didn't cost a whole lot. But like if you have an iPhone, those things are like 700 to over $1,000 just walking around in your pocket, right? So if you can afford to have that much money just sitting in your pocket, um, you are rich. So just know that everybody listening is also rich. So you can't say, well, I don't need to hear this because I'm not in that category. So um, all of these things apply, I think, to all of us this morning. And so we're going to, let's read what's happening in Mark chapter 10. Um, it's page 897 if you're following along in the Pew Bible in front of you. Um, or if you want to follow us along, you can look for our event in the, in the YouVersion Bible app and the verses will be there for you. So we're going to start in verse 13. And it says, People were bringing little children to him, that's Jesus, in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And after taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving, because he had many possessions. Now Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, and Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
And they were even more astonished, saying to one another, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. And Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything, and we've followed you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake, and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more, now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now before we jump in and start working our way through it, just know that 1031, the who, many who are first will be last and last will be first, is the end of one of Mark's sandwiches um, from the end where Jesus, where the disciples are um, arguing about who is um, the greatest. And so we see a similar verse in verse 9, and so he's kind of connecting the dots in all of this. Um, so that's what he's talking about. So as we work through this, we're just kind of see what we learn. And the first thing we learn from these verses is that the helpless gain the kingdom of God. We have children coming to Jesus and being brought to him. And then the disciples, they rebuke the children, like the people bringing the children say, no, you can't bring children to Jesus. So what's happening here is they saw the children as unimportant and insignificant. Like, Jesus is too important to spend his time talking to children. They're not important enough. They're not valuable, so we're just going to move on and keep them away. And then as we see often sometimes in the book of Mark, we get a rebuke of a rebuke, right? The disciples are rebuking, and then Jesus rebukes them. So we get a double rebuke right there. And so he says, let them come because the kingdom belongs to them. And Jesus tells them, right, truly I tell you, and this phrase may sound familiar to you. You may also have in your version, it may say, truly I say to you or I tell you the truth. So this verse occurs 13 times in the book of Mark. And every time Jesus uses this phrase, what comes after is something significant or essential for understanding um, the Christian life and how to live. And so what comes after this phrase, truly I tell you, is something significant. And so what does Jesus tell them is so important? He, sa he says... Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So, the question I think we should have is, what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? What does that look like? Well, if you think of any infant or any toddler, just picture them in your mind, um, they're pretty much helpless. There's not much they can do on their own. Um, they require lots of help for anything that they're going to do. They're utterly dependent on someone else for their survival. But what I think we can learn from them as we look at, at, at what it means, what a child would do, an infant or a small child, is there is trust in their helplessness. There's trust in their helplessness. When they see their parents, they feel safe. When something scary or something different happens or a stranger approaches, what do they do? They look for their parents and then they take off running and they just want to be held, right? To protect me from whatever's coming. They know that they can't protect themselves, but they trust completely in their parents. Because in that trust, they also completely surrender, right? They have no worries, now, and I would say, unless something has gone wrong, and I think there's situations where this happens, but for the most part, no small children are wondering where their next meal is coming from. 
they're just not worried about that. It's not something they're, they, they know that their parents will take care of them and they're going to feed them and they're going to provide for them. So they're not worried. They're not anxious. They're not fearful because they know they will be protected and provided for. Their trust in their parents or whoever's taking care of them is complete. And so as long as their caretakers or parents are with them, there's nothing to be worried about for them. They also have no problem asking for help, right? When an infant needs something, there's not a doubt that they need something because they just start crying. And it doesn't matter where you are or what time it is or how loud they should be in the place that they're in. They're going to let you know as loud as they possibly can that they need something, right? They don't care about what's happening. They just need you to help them. So they call out for their needs, And so for us to receive the kingdom like a child is to understand these same things, is to understand that we are helpless. And in our helplessness, we are called to trust in our heavenly Father who provides for us, who cares for us, who protects us, to trust Him completely for all of our needs. And in that trust, to completely surrender to Him, to give over all of our anxiousness, all of our worry, all of our fears, even all of our shame even, to trust that He can provide, He will care for us, and we can completely trust Him for all things. As long as God, our Father, is with us, there is nothing to be worried about. But we also need to ask for help, right? This one may be the hardest one for us sometimes. When we need something, when we're worried, when we feel stuck, when we're afraid, when we have doubts, we can cry out to God and He's ready and listening. He's ready to listen to us, to us. He's ready to respond So we can also, just like an infant, be shameless in asking for help from our Heavenly Father. But the challenge, I think, for us is most of these attitudes that we see are taught out of us, right? Our culture pushes us away from the very values that we see in this passage, at least um, in our normal lives, and I think it bleeds over into our spiritual lives, right? We're taught to take care of things on our own. As good individualistic Americans, our childhood is basically the process of us being prepared to be sent out on our own, right? You have successfully raised your child when you send them out on their own. And so that process is I need to be able to depend on myself and take care of myself and be responsible for myself and do all of these things on my own. We're taught to be independent, right? And if you ask for help in the same way, you did as an infant when you're a teenager, then something's gone wrong. That's what we say. We also learn along the way that people will let us down, and they're not always going to come through, and we, get, we stop trusting people completely, because at some age we realize even our parents aren't as trustworthy as we thought they were, right? And so we kind of lose that complete trust in other people. We also strive to be self-sufficient, to be on our own, Right? For us to be helpless is a terrible thing. Nobody wants to be helpless in their situation. We kind of always want to have control over what's going on. So much so that most of us don't even want to ask for help, even if we need it. Right? We just try to make it on our own, and we refuse to say, I just need some help, even if it's a small thing. Right? We, because we want, people to show, we want to show people how self-sufficient and how self-reliant and how capable we are that we've done a good job growing up and we can take care of things on our own, and we don't need help, which means we rarely ask for help, because asking for help feels like a kind of failure, 
right? I couldn't do something on my own, so I need help, so I've failed. Now, some of the things that you learn as you're growing up are good things. They're not necessarily bad, but there's no doubt that these attitudes and things that we've just talked about bleed into our spiritual lives and kind of push us away from these attitudes that Jesus is telling us to have to receive the kingdom as a child, right? To understand that you're hopeless, to cry out for help, to know that you can't do everything on your own. That's what he's seeking for them to understand. And so we're taught the opposite of that as we grow up, um, which is dangerous spiritually because of what we see next in this passage, which is that the self-reliant miss the kingdom. And so we start in verse 17 for this one, and so the man runs up to Jesus and he says, uh, basically he's asking, how can I inherit eternal life? The question behind that is, what does it mean to be saved? How can I know that I am saved? How can I know that I have received the kingdom? And so what he's really asking is that. And I think at some level this guy knew that even though he had a lot, even though he was successful, as we're going to see in a minute, even though he knew the commandments that God um, has asked him to do and was doing them, at some level he still had some doubt as to whether he was going to inherit the kingdom. He clearly didn't believe that he had eternal life or at least didn't feel secure in it. So for us, those questions may sound something like this. Um, if you're an unbeliever listening or watching, you may be saying, well, I'm not sure I want to be saved, or I don't even know how. So how do I do that? Or maybe you're here and you're doubting and you're saying, I'm worried I may not really be a Christian. Or maybe you're just looking for confirmation. I want to know for sure that I am a believer in Christ, and so how can I know for sure? So those are the questions that he's kind of asking in this. And Jesus points towards following the commands, right? He says, you know the commandments, and he lists them there. This is an, almost an exact copy of the list from Exodus chapter 20. That's where we get the Ten Commandments. So we have commandments six through nine in a row. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Then we have do not defraud. Then we have, or jumps back to commandment number five of honoring your father and mother. So the question I had this week is, why would he list the commandments in order, word for word, and then throw in one that says, do not defraud, which is not really in the Ten Commandments? So what is he, why is he throwing that one in here? So there's a couple of options here. One is that do not defraud replaces coveting, which is commandment number 10, because as a rich person, he may already have everything that he wants, so there's no reason for him to covet or be jealous of what his neighbor has because he has more than all of his neighbors. And so he's kind of throwing that in, and he's probably tagging along with that is, you may have gained your riches and all the things that you have by defrauding, exploiting, and taking advantage of others. The other one is, it's a combination of eight and nine, which are do not steal and do not bear false witness, um, kind of with an eye towards maybe you've taken advantage of people or maybe you've lied a little bit or maybe you've stolen a little bit or cheated or cut some corners to get to where you are. And so he's basically tailoring these commandments to the person that he was talking to and says, this is what it would look like for a rich person. And the man responds, I've done all of these since I was younger. Basically, since he was 13 is kind of what he's talking about. Um, he's done all of these. And we might expect Jesus in this moment to say, hey, well done. We gave you a list of commandments. You've been able to do them all. You've been doing them for most of your life. You've followed them. 
you shouldn't be worried about entering the kingdom of God and inheriting eternal life. But that's not what he says, right? First, it says that Jesus loved him in verse 21. But why does it say that? Right? Because we sing a song from really early, if you go to church, that Jesus loves me and he loves everybody. And so everybody is loved by Jesus. So this guy is not like he wasn't loved by Jesus and now he is. So why would Jesus specifically say this out loud to this guy? Well, I think it's because of what he's going to tell him next. Right? The words of Jesus that are about to come are going to be very challenging, very difficult for this guy to hear. And so what Jesus is saying, look, I love you enough and I care about you enough to actually tell you the truth, to challenge you, to push you, to not let you sit where you are and to think you're okay, but to help you move forward in your relationship with me. And so Jesus loved him enough to tell him the truth. And Jesus says, right, you lack one thing. You've done all the commandments, but you lack one thing. So what he's saying in that is, works are not enough. Doing all of the commandments is not enough to gain eternal life. I think he's also saying it's possible to do all the right things and still not inherit the kingdom. And then he gives them this list, right? Go, sell all you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. So he says, hey, you lack one thing, and then basically he gives them a list of four things. Um, so obviously the four things are, not, are kind of wrapped up in whatever this one thing is. And so what we do with that is this. It's pointing to the fact that Jesus didn't, he actually didn't have an issue with the man being rich. That wasn't the problem. It wasn't his possessions that were the issue. What he's saying is that he, he wasn't saying that he values poor people more than rich people. But he's giving him this list to reveal that this man's problem wasn't wealth. It was trust and allegiance. His problem is that his allegiance and his trust is misplaced. He needed to sell all that he had to remove the barrier to receiving eternal life. And then he needed to follow Jesus in order to turn from his own self-reliance, his own self-sufficiency, and to trust in Jesus. The one thing he was missing was unrivaled allegiance to Jesus. That's the one thing he didn't have. And so Jesus wanted him to see that his achievement, his ability to follow the law, wasn't going to get him into heaven, into the kingdom. His successes, his blessings didn't necessarily point to God's approval. And so doing the commandments, doing the right things, doing what Christians are supposed to do, without trust and allegiance, doesn't get you into the kingdom. If you rely on yourself and your actions or being a good person, that may get you close, but it doesn't quite get you there. It doesn't quite get you in. So the call to follow Jesus actually isn't something we just add on. Like, I'm doing all of this stuff in my life, and I'm going to add on following Jesus. No, following Jesus and giving allegiance to him supersedes everything else in our lives. It comes first, and it's greater than anything else that we see, anything else that we do, anything else that we have. It's a greater calling and commitment than anything else that we do in our lives. It calls for full trust and allegiance in Jesus. 
So if God's kingdom, if salvation cannot be obtained by achievement or by merit or blessings, then how can we obtain it? And this is what Jesus explains next, is that God gives the kingdom. We see this in verses 23 through 25. And Jesus kind of repeats the same thing twice, right? In 23, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom. The disciples are astonished, and then Jesus repeats, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And then he expands. He says, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So he gives this phrase of what it means or how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Now, we talked to us about this a little bit, actually, in our staff meeting this week to discuss what this um, means, because there's this view that some people have that what he's talking about here is not literally a camel going through the eye of a needle, but this actually refers to a gate in the city. That next to the main gate of the city, there's a smaller gate that's too small for a camel to fit through standing up. And so the camel will have to like kneel down and get small, and then the man will have to lead him through. And so it's a symbol of the man um, humbling himself, right, and bowing down to go through the gate. Now, that sounds great, and I think we actually wanted to mean that because it kind of softens what Jesus says, right? That doesn't mean it's impossible for a rich person to get in. It just means he has to humble himself or he has to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable. Um, the problem is there's not really early evidence that this gate existed, and this concept doesn't show up till the 11th century, which is way after Jesus says this. So I think the easiest way to take it is just exactly how Jesus said it, right? That's the simplest reading, that a camel, it can't fit through the eye of a needle. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. And I think theologically, that's also what he wants us to understand. Not that it's difficult or we have to humble ourselves and then we can get in, but it is literally impossible for a man to get into heaven on his own. Nothing he has, nothing he does, no amount of success will ever get him in, which is what he says, right? It's impossible, which is what we see in his next phrase, right? They ask, who can be saved? They're astonished. So the problem the disciples are having understanding is um, belief at this time were that riches and blessing were a sign that God has favored you. Right? So if you were doing what you were supposed to, and if you were living a righteous life, that would be evidenced by having riches and blessings. So in their eyes, if you were rich and you were blessed, that meant you were more righteous. Because the more you righteous you were, the more God would bless you. And so for them, blessing equals God's favor. So if somebody who they thought automatically had God's favor can't get in, then who can get in? How does anybody get into the kingdom? So they thought of riches as an advantage, not a disadvantage in their spiritual life. And I think this concept actually leaks into our thinking as well, right? We think if everything's going well, then God is blessing us and we're doing what we're supposed to do. I think we see this more on the flip side, right? When things are difficult or when you're struggling or when you're having a hard time, you feel like something is wrong, right? Like God has forgotten you. Right? I should be getting blessings. I should be getting all of this stuff because I'm following God. Now, you may get those, and that may happen, but it's not a guarantee when you follow Jesus. In addition to that, I think material possessions can be a dangerous 
instrument for reinforcing self-sufficiency and independence from God, right? Because the more you have, the more you think, I've got this on my own. I don't need help. I've got this covered. I can, I can tackle anything that comes at me. I'm prepared. I have all of these things in case something happens. I can do this on my own. It may make us think we are righteous when we are not. And so Jesus answers, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. So here Jesus is making it really clear how you enter the kingdom. Nothing you do, nothing you know, nothing you have can save you. No amount of good works, no amount of riches, no amount of blessings can save you. It's impossible for mankind to obtain salvation through achievement or through merit. We just can't do it. And if you're good enough, or you think you're good enough, even if you get really close, it just takes that one mistake, that one thing you do wrong, and then you're back at the beginning. So Jesus wanted them to understand that salvation and entrance into the kingdom is God's work. He does it. He opens the mind and heart for us to be able to receive and see Jesus clearly. To understand that we are sinners, that we are selfish, that we are prideful, that we are judgmental, often unloving people, and that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so he sent Jesus to earth to live a perfect life among us, and then to sacrifice ourself, himself in our place so that we could have life. So Jesus wanted them to see that the way to enter the kingdom of God is to be completely dependent on Christ. To trust in God through salvation for Jesus, just like a child is completely dependent on his parents for life. It's trust and allegiance to Jesus that brings salvation, and that's it. Right? He also wanted them to see, I think, that all the riches in the world are not necessary when what you actually need is free. Right? The grace of Jesus that comes for us is free. It doesn't cost us anything. You don't have to pay for it. He gives it to us freely. So it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter how many riches you have. He gives it to you for nothing. And so we follow him. We trust in him because all are given access to Jesus from the children who the disciples think aren't significant enough for what God has to the poor, to the homeless, to the rich, to everybody. Everybody has the same free access to the Savior. It's grace for all people. But then he kind of keeps going and kind of explains, if riches aren't a sign of blessing and a sign of righteousness, then what can we expect after we follow Jesus? Which is what Peter asks next in verse 28. He says, Peter began to tell him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Now, it's not here in Mark because Mark just likes to keep moving the action forward and so he kind of leaves out some of these little things. But what Peter is basically asking is, okay, I get it. We're supposed to follow you and give allegiance to you. We left everything. We're following you. So what do we get, right? What are we going to get for this? What are, what's in it for us is basically what Peter's asking. And so Jesus answers him. We see in verse 29, he starts again, Truly I tell you, right, signifying that this is important. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time 
houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. So Jesus begins and tells them, whoever leaves these things will be blessed with so much more. And he's really saying there's three things here, right? He will bless them with more. Now, this may seem like he's going back on what he said before, right? Don't trust in your riches. Don't trust in your blessings. But then I'm going to give you a hundred times what you had before, right? Which kind of reverses that. But I think what he's actually talking about is these blessings will come in your new life in Christ. So they may not be material blessings, but when you become a believer in Christ, you do get new brothers and sisters, right? We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're a Christian and in this room who weren't originally brothers and sisters when we first started, Right? And so you gain all of those things. You'll find more fulfilling relationships, more valuable things as a believer in Christ than you had before. But if you noticed, he sneaks a little phrase in there in the midst of all of these blessings and, and greatness and the things that we get. Right? He says you get all of this stuff with persecutions. Right? It doesn't just come free and easy. It comes with a little challenge. It may come with trials, struggles, and persecutions for our faith. He's saying, essentially, it's going to be hard. Yes, you may get these great blessings, but it's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. But even with that, the third thing, right, they get is eternal life, is entrance into the kingdom. They will enter the kingdom of God for all eternity. Right? And so that's what he's saying. In order to be saved, to know that you have salvation is to have trust and allegiance in Christ. We enter the kingdom with full trust and allegiance in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so as we look at this and we look at kind of what he's teaching us here, right, that it's impossible for us to inherit the kingdom on our own. We trust in Christ for our salvation. No amount of riches or good deeds will get us in. What do, we, what do we do with that? What do we walk away from this with this morning? And so first, um, for unbelievers, if you're listening to this and you're not yet a Christian or you haven't left, given your life over to him, it's pretty simple. Just trust in Jesus. He's the only one that, you, that can save. Nothing you can do on this earth can save you. It's impossible. It's literally impossible. So you come to him like a child realizing that you are unable to save yourself or to be good enough to earn his favor and gain entry into the kingdom on your own. But for believers, I think it also has a message for us. And I've talked about this um, before, not often, um, but my hope as your pastor is that when we all get to heaven, there are no surprises. And here's what I mean by that that everybody that was a member of our church and attended our church that we thought was a Christian is actually confirmed by us seeing them in heaven, right? But I'm pretty fairly convinced that there will be a lot of people missing who we think were going to be there. And I think there's going to be a lot of people there that we didn't think were going to be, right? But it's my goal as your pastor to make this crystal clear of what it means to be a Christian so that when we get there, there's no surprises, right? That we don't think that coming to church every Sunday for 60 years gets us into heaven. Now, that's a good thing to do, but that in itself doesn't get you in, right? Even reading your Bible every day or praying every day, those things in themselves are great, Right? We're talking about them in our spiritual disciplines class. But if you just do the spiritual disciplines on your own and you don't trust and give your life over to Christ, it's not going to get you in. 
And so as believers, we should always be evaluating. Am I giving full allegiance and trust in Jesus? Or am I trusting in something else? Am I trusting in what's in my bank account? Am I trusting in my job? Am I trusting in my friends? Am I trusting in my family to get me through everything and not on Christ? Or are my blessings, my riches, my success leading me to be lax and just coasting in my life? Is I'm good, I've got this on my own. I can just keep doing what I'm doing and I'll be happy and I'll live a good life and everything will be fine. So are we falsely secure in our riches, in our blessings, in what we have, that we don't seek Christ more fully? Because the message, the answer to the question, right, how can I be saved, is that salvation comes through Christ and through Christ alone. As we surrender everything to Him and trust in Him above all other things, that's how we inherit the kingdom. Will you guys pray with me this morning? Um, God, we come before you, and we thank you for the message um, of the gospel this morning, the gospel of Mark. God, and I thank you that you do, you do challenge us. You love us enough to give us challenging words and challenging um, stories and, and that help us in our situation, that as even though we're here and we may not feel like we're rich, we may, feel, may not feel like we have a lot, but for the most part, if we're living in this country compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. We have so much, and it's easy to trust in that or strive for that or find our worth in that or our value in that, but you remind us that it's not what we have, it's not even what we do that gains us entry into the kingdom of heaven, that gives us salvation that overcomes our sinful hearts who have rebelled against you. It's only trust and allegiance in you above all other things. So God, this week, I pray that you would help us to see you, to seek you, to evaluate our lives and to look at where we're trusting, where our hope is, where our value is, where our significance is found so that we can see where it is and repent and trust in you above all things. So God, help us to see you and to surrender everything to you. In your name I pray, amen.